Good morning. Welcome to Faith Bible Fellowship Church. My name's Ricardo Vargas. I'm the associate pastor here, and it's always an honor. It's always a pleasure to be before you and to bring God's word to you guys, and I'm always excited to do so. So here we are. We are a month into this new year, first Sunday in February, and I'm excited so far what God has done and what God is going to do this year in the life of our church here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church. I'm excited for life groups that have started up again, and I'm excited to see what God is going to do through that. I'm excited for all the Bible studies we're going to be doing here. I'm excited for what God is working through the youth here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church. We got back a couple weeks ago from a snow glow event, and I'm seeing a little fire light up under these youth here, and I'm excited to see what God is going to do this year as we continue to study the book of John in youth groups. So be praying for that. Be praying for the youth here and just seeing that God continues to pull them to himself and they continue to grow in him. I'm excited to be continuing also in this book in the Gospel of Mark, and we're just going to continue this study. We've been in it for four months now, and we're going to be in it for the rest of this year and then some. Who knows how long we'll be in the book of Mark, but we're opening up chapter four, and I'm excited for this next section here in Mark because it's kind of different than what we've been doing so far in the Gospel of Mark. Mark has so far in the first three chapters, has been focusing on the actions of Jesus, things that Jesus has done, his healing people, his cleansing people, him calling people to himself. That's kind of been the main focus for Mark through the first three chapters. And in there you had interspersed, there's moments where Jesus has taught. So you see that in Mark chapter 1, verse 21, Jesus preaching. You see that in, in chapter 2, verse 2. But usually those times where Jesus is teaching, those are a response to his critics. A response to the Pharisees who are questioning the things he's doing, questioning things like that. And so he responds to them, and he responds in parables, as you see earlier in chapter 3. But that's kind of what, what the focus has been so far is on the actions of Jesus, what Jesus is doing. And here in chapter 4, Mark kind of switches it up a little bit and Really, for the majority of this chapter, we're going to be focusing on the actual teachings of Jesus. We're going to be focusing on some parables and things that he's teaching the disciples and those around him. And this is just, like I said, a switch from what Mark has done. And this is really the only section outside of one other section in chapter 13 where Mark will focus on the teachings of Jesus. You got there in chapter 13 where it's the Olivet Discourse, if you will. And so those are the two primarily sections and Mark, where he focuses on the actual teachings of Jesus. The rest is, has to do with what Jesus is doing, the miracles. You see, at the end of chapter 4, he focuses on Jesus calming the storm. So there's really only two sections in all of the 16 chapters here in the Gospel of Mark where he focuses on the teachings of Jesus. So we are to pay close attention. He, he starts here with a bunch of parables. you got about three of them here in chapter 4. In chapter 4, and out of all of the Gospels, all the Synoptic Gospels, Mark is the one who spends the least amount of time on parables. You have about eight in the whole Gospel of Mark, where in Luke you have 24, in Matthew you have 23 parables. So Mark doesn't spend that much time, but he does include some. And so we ought to pay attention to the parables that Mark includes, because we understand that there must be a purpose for the parables, why Mark is including these for us when he's just taking a break from his regularly scheduled programming to focus on these teachings 
of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be looking at over the next several weeks is these parables that Mark includes in his gospel. With that said, we are going to be looking at the first 20 verses in Mark, and that may sound a lot. You may be like, wow, 20 verses. But really, I would like to focus the majority of our time in the last verses 13 through 20, because that's where I feel like a lot of what, when Jesus is explaining the parable of what he's trying to get at here. But with that said, if there's anything, the main idea for today, if there's anything I want you to leave with, it's that we are called to be faithful and our spreading of the gospel, and God will do the rest. We are called to be faithful in our spreading of the gospel, and God will do the rest. Like I said, we'll be reading in Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. And again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him. So then he got into a boat and sat into the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. In his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and hundredfold. And as he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him, who bought the parables, he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven." And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And the others are the ones sown among thorns. And there are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that are sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne this morning, Lord, and we ask that you continue to shower us with your grace and mercy, Lord. We ask that you bless this time that we have together as a church body, Father. That as we work our way through this passage, Lord, you reveal things to us, the areas that we need to be working on, things that we need to be working on, Father, things that were unclear to us. Please help them make them clearer today, Father. We ask that you meet us where we're at, Father, that you use this time together to glorify, to to lift up your church, to edify your church, Father. We ask that you eliminate any distractions that we may have today, Father, that we're able to just take these next several moments that we have in your word, Father, and glean from it those things that you want us to glean, Father. Bless our time together, Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be edifying to you and to your people, Lord. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. And his people said, Amen. 
So like I said, 20 verses, and it's a lot. And we're going to be focusing mainly on the latter half, but I, there are a couple things that I want to point out here before we get started. We see that this is a scene that is familiar to us, where Jesus is teaching out by the sea. He does this earlier in chapter 3 as well. And he starts out, and he gets out to the sea, and there's this huge crowd, and they're surrounding him, and he gets in the boat, and maybe he gets pushed off a little bit, who knows. But he starts off by saying, listen. And this isn't a call to kind of get their attention, if you will. It's not like he's trying to say, listen up, guys, come here. I got a word for you. He has their attention already. They're flooding him. They're coming to the sea, and they're, he's getting on a boat. Just picture that, and he's getting pushed out a little bit. They, he already has them in the, in the palm of his hands. They're, they're eager to hear what he has to say. He's not trying to, they're not like talking. And he's saying, listen, guys, it's time to, it's time to gather around. Really we'll hear what he's asking them to do when he says, listen, is, I want you to really hear this. I want you to try to understand what I'm about to say. The word there that gets translated for listen, it's that same Greek word that we see there at the end of chapter 9 when he says, who has ears to hear, let him hear. You can literally translate that, who has ears to hear, let them listen. And he's trying to get there. He's trying to say, this is what I'm about to say. I want you to consider. Just think. Take a time to pause on the things that I'm about to say and really listen here. And he starts teaching in parables. We see that in verse 3. In parables, it's just... Literally, it means to take something and to lay it along something else. That's literally the definition of, of parable in the Greek. It's to take a story and to lay it alongside a truth in the hopes to get people to, to grasp it, to, to consider it, to think about it, to ponder on it. Oftentimes, parables were, were shocking for people. They were challenging to people. It's really causing them to just take a minute and pause and try to glean something from this. Jesus taught in parables. 35% of his teaching throughout the Gospels is done in parables, and sometimes we make big things about it, but it's really just taking something, like I said, and laying it, take a truth, as one commentator said, and laying it alongside a story and, and praying for people to understand it. It all depends on the hearer. So he says, listen, he goes about, he, sa- he shares the parable with them, and the next thing we see in verse 10 is, is that everyone is gone, and the only people left are his disciples and those who are with them, and we're left to ponder how did people respond to the parable, because it's clear that the disciples didn't understand the parable. They're asking him, what did you mean? So how did everyone respond? How did everyone else? Because there was a huge, large crowd gathering to hear him. How did they respond to the parable? And Jesus here gives us a a couple ways to look at how people respond. And we see throughout all all of Mark, really, the first three chapters, how people have responded to Jesus by when he was performing miracles. Right? You had those who saw Jesus perform these miracles. They saw him healing people, cleansing people, and they responded by acknowledging who he was and praising him. And there's others like the Pharisees who responded by just getting hostile with Jesus. And we see that there's a variety of ways that people respond to his miracles. And there's going to be a variety of ways that people respond to his teaching, to the things that he's teaching People are going to respond differently. We see that in our own lives. 
We have the gospel that we've all received, we've all heard, and we've responded to it. But then we also have people who hear the same gospel, who hear it proclaimed the same way, and who have a different response to it. Who, who eyes aren't open, but perhaps they continue living in their sin. Why is that? We see the reason for that here in verses 10 through 12 when Jesus says, And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Here, Jesus is quoting from Isaiah 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 9. And, and this is a, a couple difficult set of passages because what we see here, Jesus says there are certain things that people aren't going to understand because the kingdom of God, the secrets of the kingdom of God has not been revealed to them. When you see here the word secrets, it's referring to divine revelation. There, that there are certain things that we find in the Gospels, in parables, that can only be understood or be communicated by divine revelation. There are just certain people who are going to hear the truth, who are going to read this and not comprehend, not understand. And it's because they have not been given the secrets of the kingdom of God. Really, what you can summarize this verse is that God is sovereign over the growth. He is sovereign over the seed. He is sovereign over how people understand his word. That it's not up to us. It's not up to how eloquent we speak. It's up to what God is going to do. And the truth is, and the hard truth is, that there are people who are going to hear the word of God, and you're going to have those who their hearts are softened to it. And they receive it, and they grow, and they come to make a profession of faith, and they continue to grow in their faith. And then there are those who are going to hear that same word, and whose hearts are going to be hardened by it. They're not going to receive it. They're not going to understand. Think about the Pharisees and, and how they respond to Jesus' miracles and teaching. The hard truth is that sometimes the word that you bring to someone won't bring salvation but it will bring a hardening of the heart. Sometimes the word that you bring someone will push them further away. And that's a hard truth for us to understand. It's something hard to wrap our minds around because it's not up to us. It's up to God what he does with the word that's been sown. The reason being is because they have not been regenerated. And so the secrets of the mystery of the kingdom of God has not been revealed to them. They cannot begin to process the truth, the beautiful truth of the gospel without first being enlightened by the Holy Spirit. And that's what Jesus is saying here. They may indeed see, but they won't perceive. They're going to hear it, but they're not going to understand. Sometimes you will go out and talk to people and share the gospel with them, and, and they will not receive it. And it's not because you aren't doing it a certain way. It's not because you are fumbling your words. It's because God hasn't revealed his truth to them yet. And that's something we have to wrestle with and grasp with as we have loved ones and we have co-workers who we wish can come to know the truth of the word. And we work towards that. And we continue to do that. And we pray for that. But we understand that God is the one who is sovereign over the harvest. And really, I could go on about that, and you could do a whole sermon on what that means, on what the sovereignty of God means through this. 
but we just don't have time for that today. So we're going to keep it moving, and we're going to look at how he explains the parables here to the disciples. And as I go on, I'm going to interchangeably use the word soil and, and heart. When I'm referring to soil, I'm going to, I'm going to be referring to the heart of mankind as well. And I'm using this outline that I found in a book by R. Kent Hughes, and I believe it just helped me to better understand what's going on, and it just brings better clarity to this answer that Jesus gives to his disciples. One thing I want us to point out, and I'll come back to this later as well, is, is the sower who's spreading the word. He's doing this, seems like haphazardly. He's just going and grabbing whatever the seed and just kind of throwing it wherever. And wherever it falls, it will fall. He's not really worried about making sure it's on the right soil. He's not worried about where it's falling. He's just throwing it out there. He's putting his hands in the bag and just putting it out there. And whatever happens, happens. This method here is called the broadcast method. And that's what he's using. That's where we get through the term the radio broadcast is just sending out a signal. And whatever happens, happens. That's the method that we see the sowers using here. And that's why you see the seed or the word fall on so many different types of soils and so many different types of hearts because he's just being, he's just throwing it out there. He's not caring. He's not looking. He's not trying to do anything. He's just throwing it out there. And whatever happens, well, happens. And we know the seed is the word. We get that from verse 14. The sower sows the word. That is the word of God. That is the gospel. He sows the gospel. And so the first soil that we see is the soil that falls on the path or the hardened heart. This is a path that's been beaten, that's been walked around. This is perhaps the main walkway on the farmer's farm, if you will. It's that, that type of pathway that when you're going out hiking, and it's that well, the, the trail is made out of that. Everything else is growing around it, but the main pathway that people are walking has just been walked on and beaten down so hard that nothing else grows in that. And this is the pathway. It's so hardened that the seed can never penetrate the soil. And so he's saying here that, that this person is in the grips of Satan's arms, and the word will never penetrate their heart. Look at verse 15. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear Satan immediately comes and takes away the word, takes away the word that was sown in them. The word never has an opportunity to penetrate, to go deep, because it's immediately plucked by Satan. And we probably think we know these people who have hard hearts toward the gospel. We immediately start to think of those people in our lives who perhaps live in some atrocious sin, who are, who are fine with living in their sin, who, who are just blatant about it and don't care. And that may be the case. But really, this person here, the hard heart, they can, have it look, they can look like they have it together. They can even agree with you on certain things. Maybe they have a high view of marriage. Maybe they have a high view of what the sanctity of life is. Maybe they agree with you politically. But we understand that those things don't save us. This person doesn't have to be living in obvious sin. They're just simply indifferent to the gospel. This person is so self-consumed, so caught up in themselves, that the truth of God's word that they hear does nothing for them. They don't take the time to ponder it. They don't question it. They just, it goes in one year and out the other. As Danny Aiken says, this is a gospel deafness. There is no consideration of the gospel when they hear it. 
They can look a lot of different ways. They can look like us. They can be here. They can be our family members. They can be our friends. They're not always, these people aren't always the character that we paint in our minds. Sometimes it's the least person that you expect that has the hardest heart towards God. They stay that way because the gospel never penetrates their heart. It never goes deep into their heart. Right? And, they, and they may think, you know what, that whatever works for you, that's great. Christianity, your religion works for you, that's awesome. I don't need that. I'm good. I don't need God to tell me if I'm a good person. I know that. That's the type of attitude that this person has. They're just simply indifferent to the gospel. The second soil is, is the shallow hearts. This is the, the seed that was cast on rocky ground. And what you have here is at the top, at the top of the layer of the soil, it looks good. If you're just looking at it, if you're not trying to dive deep into it, if you're not trying to investigate it, it looks good. But just believe, just beneath that thin layer of good soil, it's just filled with rocks, with bedrock. And so what happens is that as the seed gets planted into the soil and it starts to try to dive deeper in, it meets the bedrock and it cannot grow any deeper. The, the roots no longer penetrate any, anything deeper than that top soil. So as a result of that, it starts to sprout and it starts to look good. And, and you see a little bit of green there, but there's no good nutrients. It doesn't have good roots. So as soon as we see the sun come, it scorches it and it withers away. This is the type of person who makes a proclamation of faith. Maybe they're at an event. Maybe they, they, they were, maybe they were, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sorry. They, they were just made guilty to say and make a proclamation of faith. And it looks good on the outside, but as soon as they go back to their lives, as soon as there's a moment of persecution, as soon as there's a moment of tribulation, they leave the faith. We see a lot of this in our Christian circles, in our Christian culture today. It's this idea of the emotionalism that we see in our churches and that we see at these Christian conferences and, and events where, where they play on people's emotions. They dim the lights down. They have the fog smoke. They're able to play the right type of music to play on people's emotions, and they get them to make a proclamation of faith. And then they just send them home. There's no growth. There's no discipleship going on. And as soon as they get back into their lives, as soon as there's a moment of slight inconvenience in their lives, they, they, they turn away from the gospel and go back to living the life that they had. I've seen this happen time and time again. I've, I've taken kids back when I was in, the, in ministry in Miami to this event called Acquire the Fire. I don't know if you guys remember that. And it was just an event where this company would go around the whole world and they would put on these two-day events and they would pack arenas out with thousands and thousands and thousands of kids, of youth. And they play on their emotions. They have the right speaker. They have the right band. And all you can just see by the thousands, these kids make proclamations of faith. My own, the youth group that I took, I would see dozens and dozens and dozens of kids make a proclamation of faith. And then the moment they go back to school, the moment they have to choose between Jesus and friends, Jesus and their boyfriend, or Jesus and, and their girlfriend, they turn from the gospel. 
because they have a shallow heart, as one commentator put it. This is an inch deep heart. There's no roots in there. There's no depth to their faith, and so they will fall away. And this isn't a knock on these events. I was saved at an acquired fire event. I remember it to this day in 2005, what it meant to be called by God. But a majority of the people end up falling away quickly because there's no depth to the faith. That's the characteristic of a shallow heart. The moment you have to make a hard choice, you go for the easy one. The next soil is the divided heart. This is the seed that falls on the thorny soil. This person has a better response than the other two that we've talked about. But ultimately, as we see in verse 19, they, the, the word is choked away from them. This person makes a proclamation of faith. Maybe they spend years, maybe decades in the church and they're growing. But they have this heart that's been divided between Jesus, between God and everything else in their life. And there's a refusal to give those things up. And that refusal eventually leads to them turning away from God. We see this in verses 18 and 19. And the others are the ones smoking them up. Sown among thorns, there are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But the cares of the world, it can literally be translated there. The, the distractions of their culture, the distractions of, of their society, the distractions of the age, that's what he's getting at there. The things that are important the things that are valuable to that present culture that they're living in, those are the things that they care more about. Those are the things that they refuse to let go. And the scary thing is that there is a plethora of things that can distract us nowadays. There's a plethora of things that can really be pulling us away from God. It's not the most obvious things. It's not money, fame, and power. Sometimes it's a desire to know more. It's a desire to have intellect just a little approval. Maybe it's not the fact that we want to be millionaires or we want to be billionaires, but, but the truth is, is deep down, we want to be a little bit more comfortable than we are. We want to be able to buy the things that we want. We're not good with just our needs being met. We want more. It's this idea of this person who loves the world more than they love God. And we know what happens to that person in 1 John chapter 2, verse 10, verse 15. It says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. This person, this, this divided heart, they can't let go of the things that they truly desire. And they're led astray by the deceitfulness of riches, of riches and the desires of other things. This is the person who's trying to live a life with really two masters in it. They try to live according to the world and try to live with God as well. We know what happens. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or we be devoted to the one and despise the other. We can't live and try to serve two masters at the end of the time. This person ends up ultimately playing the ultimate pay, the deed, by giving up and letting go. 
of the God that they have of Jesus. They're trying to do both. They're trying to hold on to Jesus while trying to gather everything else, trying to hold on to the ways of this world, trying to hold on to their wealth, trying to hold on to the people they have. And eventually what's going to happen is they're going to let go. And they're going to prove to be unfruitful. They will choose the riches and the things of this age. They want it all. They want salvation. They want Christ. They want to be plugged in, but they also want the desires of this world. They want things. They want riches. They want it all. And you can't serve two masters. And the scary thing with this person is they have, can be in the church for a while. They can be fruitful and all. It can look good for a long time. But eventually, trying to serve two masters will choke out the word. That is why we have to work out our faith with fear and trembling. This is not just a one-time calling. This idea of working out your faith with fear and trembling, that's a lifelong calling. That is something we are to do for the rest of our lives. The last soil, the fruitful heart, this is the soil that falls on good soil. The seed that falls on good soil. There's one commentator writes, this is the seed that allows God's word to take deep root in their hearts. And as a result of, of God's word taking deep root, what you see that it becomes a fruitful heart. It produces good fruit. Ephesians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 10. The main characteristic of this heart is a heart that produces good fruit. This person hears the word of God, accepts the word of God, internalizes the word of God. It allows the word of God to take deep, deep root in their heart. And as a result of that, it produces, it bears fruit. They are meditating on God's word day and night. And because of that, as we see in Psalm chapter 1, verse Verse 1, that it blesses them because they meditate on God's word day and night. The fruitful heart produces good fruit. And I'm not going to sit here and give you a list of, of what that looks like. If you're wondering whether that's you, just turn to Galatians chapter 5. Look at verses 22 and 23 and ask yourself, is that true of me? Or am I looking more like the preceding verses in 18 through 21? Ask yourself, is that true of my life? This fruitful heart that we see here, it's an active heart. They're an active Christian, if you will. And by active, I don't mean that they're serving in the church, that they're always involved, even though these could be good things. No, they're active in how they hear the word of God. They're active in reading God's word. They're active in prayer. They're active in doing those things. They are, as it says in John 15, 5, abiding in Christ. And when you abide in Christ, you will produce good fruit. They are active in their faith. They don't just listen to it, but they try to internalize the word of God. They study it. They read it. They, they, they memorize it. They are actively pursuing after Christ. And in doing so, it produces good fruit. As I'm closed today, I would like to take some time to talk to the non-believer and 
as I was preparing this message, one, one commentator writes that hearing God's word is dangerous. Hearing God's word is dangerous because there is a life and death implication to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's life and death implications when it comes to the rest of eternity to hearing God's word. I'm not going to try to guilt you into believing. I'm not going to have Alex come up here and play music behind me. Just know that there is a life and death implications when we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all I ask is that you think twice before you dismiss it for the non-believer. Understand that you and I were created We're created beings. This whole world we live in, the seats that we're in, this building, the houses that we have, the food that we eat, the the water that we drink, it's all created by the God of the universe. And it says in Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare his glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. You and I are created by a righteous God, by a holy God who is sovereign over all things. And he is righteous and he is just. And those are the foundations of his thrones, as it says in Psalm 89, 14. That he will judge the earth for the sin in their lives. He will do it according to his righteousness. He will do it according to his justice. See, this God that created the world that we live in did not just create it and then say, you know, I'm done with it. They're good to go. Whatever happens, happens. He is actively judging the world according to his standards. We understand that we all, every single one of us in here, myself included, everyone who's been up here, we have all fallen short of God's glory, of his standard. Matthew 15, 19 says, For, the, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. We've all sinned. We are all guilty because that sins, Romans 3.23. Out of our hearts, out of the, our innermost beings comes evil thoughts, comes things that we lie, things, desires to steal and things like that. And because of that, we are now guilty before a perfect and holy and righteous God. And he will judge our sins and he will judge the sins of the world and no one is able to stand before this righteous and just God on their own. But the story doesn't end there. He sent his son, as it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He sent his son into this world. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, comes into this world in the form of baby. He's fully God and fully man and he walks this earth and as it says in Hebrews 2.18, he experiences temptation. He's tempted like we were, but he never sinned. He's gone through the same things that we've gone through, but he's never sinned. And because of that, because he's never sinned, he becomes the Lamb of God, the unblemished Lamb of God. His perfect life, he gives it up so that those who believe in him, those who put their faith in him, can stand before this holy and righteous God and be declared righteous. Not because we've done anything, but because at that moment, we are being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So he comes, he lives the perfect life, he goes to the cross on our behalf. 
takes the punishment that is rightfully ours, stands before the judge and says, I will take their punishment, and then rises again on the third day. And it is because of this that we are able to stand before a perfect and holy and righteous God. And we are to respond to that by repenting from our sins and putting our faith in Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. That he came, lived a perfect life, died the death that was rightfully ours, rose again. And if we put our faith and we put our trust in his works, we can have peace with a perfect and holy and righteous God today. I'd like to address the believer here. And I went back and forth of what I wanted to end today. And I wanted to first think of, thought of challenge you guys and ask, what kind of soil are you? My fear, church, is that, that we are like the seed that fell on the thorny soil, that we're here. And that, yeah, we produce some fruit. Perhaps we're here and, we, and we're doing things here at the church, but we have such a grasp that our hearts are so divided and we're not even aware of it that we're not willing to let go of the things of this world. So ask yourself, what kind of soil are you? But really, I want to just point out two things. Two things at the end here. As I mentioned earlier about how the sower is sowing the seed. I mentioned the broadcast method. He's kind of just putting his hand in and just kind of throwing it. And wherever it lands, it lands. He's not worried about what's going to happen afterwards. As R.C. Sproul puts it, he, he did this indiscriminately. The sower sows the seed indiscriminately. He didn't care where it landed, and neither should you. Simply put, we are called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, not with the people that we like, not with the people who we think are going to be receptive. We're just called to just share it. Not try to figure out, oh, they got a nice, they got crosses on their earrings. Maybe, maybe they'll be a little bit more receptive to what I have to say. That's not what we see here. We are just simply called to share the gospel. Every opportunity that we have, whether we think someone's going to respond in kind or not, whether we think someone's going to get upset with us, that doesn't matter. So we're just throw it out there. We are just simply called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ to broadcast it to the entire world, not worry about what's going to happen because we know that God is sovereign over the growth. God is sovereign over the harvest. We don't measure who comes to know God. We just simply throw it out there. We share the gospel with people and let God do the rest. Isaiah 55, 11 says that his word, God's word, will not return to him void. We are not to worry about whether they are going to come to know God. We are simply to share the gospel with people indiscriminately, whether we think they want to hear it or not, whether we think they'll be receptive, whether we are scared by their look or not. We are called to just share the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone, and God will do the rest. Notice how, how, how fruitful the harvest is. It says it's 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. This would have blown people's minds at that time. 
the average harvest on a crop during this time would have been between 8 to 10%. That's all they would have gotten back. But here Jesus is saying it's going to be 30-fold. It's going to be 60-fold. It could be 100-fold. This is meant to tell us that God is in control. That God will do the supernatural. That it's not up to us to convince people. God is behind the scenes doing the work. We are just called to be faithful in sowing the seed. And God will do the rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you. As we look into our lives, as we evaluate ourselves, Lord, we ask that you make it clear where we're at. You make it clear what we need. If there's anything that we're trying to hold on to, God, that we're able to to let go of that, to better serve you, Father, that we're able to do what's necessary for the gospel, Father. Help us. Give us the boldness. Give us the courage that we need to go out into this world and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who need it, Father. Those moments when we're in grocery stores, the moments when we're at work and and we feel the Holy Spirit tugging on us to share the gospel, to ask this person how they're doing, to give them the truth, may we not cower at that. May we stand up in boldness and do as we're being led, Father. Help us. Help us to go out into this world and sow the seed and just prayerfully pray that your work be done in the lives of those people, Father. We ask that we go about the rest of this day. Give us strength, give us wisdom, Father, as we set this day aside for you, Father. That we focus on the things that are of God and we give you more glory and honor this day, Lord. We pray all this in your son's mighty and powerful name. Amen.